Blog Talk Radio. Hello there and welcome to the Michael Calderon Show. We're so glad you could join us. And it is Tuesday, if you can believe that. Tuesday, October 9th, 2018. And I want to welcome my co-host, Adriana, who's coming to us from Los Angeles. Adriana, how are you doing today? Good morning. It's nice and bright and early over here. Yes. How are you adjusting to the uh, time change? You know what? It's actually been a refreshing change because I so easily go to sleep extremely early and I wake up extremely early. It's just it's just been a great transition. I'm just worried about when I go back to visit and then I have to go to sleep extremely late and then wake up extremely <laughs> late. I don't think that's going to be a good change. So I'm enjoying the change on this side. I don't know about when I get back over there, though. Right, right. Yeah, usually people do enjoy the change when they go over and then uh, coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we'll have to we'll have to ask my sister-in-law because uh, oh, yeah. she makes that trip pretty regularly. And, really? How and often? She, um, she's here in South Florida probably every few months. Okay, and so she, she must know the tips and tricks. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's interesting because I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen her really have a difficult time adjusting. Um, yeah, I know. I know she tends to usually come in on a red eye and sleeps you know most of the way. About, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention that I know a lot of people that can go on the plane sleeping and they get there and it's like nothing. But for me, I, I I can't. I don't know. I just to sleep on the plane is very difficult. So I'm gonna have to bite the bullet some other way and, and figure it out. But, <laughs> but I, I think um, yeah, yeah. The overnights is what everybody does to, to kind of get around that obstacle. Yeah, I know. I know. She she does the red eye all the time, and uh, and it works for her. It really does. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you got to have a nice mask to put on to cover <laughs> to cover the light. Yeah. I, I'm going to need a mask, and then I'll need, like, earplugs. I'll need, like, a massage. And then <laughs> I, don't do, I don't take any extra pills, so I can't go that route. But <laughs> I, might, I might need some, like, that dream time. Have you ever heard of dream time? It's like this yes. little... Shot. Yeah, I, I'm so surprised that it's not that well known, but I mean, it's like the opposite of a Red Bull. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, and actually, um, recently when when I flew um, in Atlanta, there was a place, and it was, I, I forget the name of it, but basically you could go in there, and like rest and take a nap. Oh my God, that is amazing! And I'm like, that is such an ingenious idea. Yeah. It like, is. I know, amazing, amazing. It is. Like you could just you know, go in, lot... and you could rest, and, then, like, just and even fresh. get a massage. Yeah. You can get a massage and everything. I love that. So. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you travel, you just feel like you're just another number to them because. They just try to compact everything so that they make the most 
out of, you know, your travels. And it's it's nice to see that somewhere they actually try and take care of you a little bit. You're not just, you know, money to them. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, maybe the next time you fly, I don't know if you'll do a direct. Um, I know my sister-in-law, sometimes she gets a direct, but sometimes she goes, I think it's either through Houston or Dallas. Okay. Be interesting to see if they have any place there. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I no, you'll have to direct. check it out. I, I, yeah. I'll yeah. Check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. Um and I do want to mention also um we have uh, I want to mention this event that's going to be coming up um and it's honoring two former New York City police officers. So for for listeners that are in the South Florida, actually Central Florida area, um Victor Padilla and Ivan Negrone um are being honored they were they worked out of the 25th precinct for their valor in the 1972 Harlem Mosque incident that occurred in New York City, and we've talked about it, you know, on earlier shows uh, when we've had NYPD retirees on, but um, they are hosting this event. It's going to be a reception at Vibes Lounge at the Clarion Hotel at 3835 McCoy Road, Orlando, Florida. And it's going to be on December 8th. Uh, They're going to have DJ and music and a cash bar. Um, So if you want more information, um, please contact Joe Sanchez at 386-747-9336. And there's a couple of other uh, contacts there, but uh, just contact Joe Sanchez. You can also send him an email, bluewall at mpinet.net. And the event is going to be from 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. So uh, donations are being accepted, and and it's only uh, a $15 entrance fee. And uh, and again, it's going to be a great time. I know they're they're actually flying down the wife of one of the officers who had passed. Um, oh. I don't know if if Joe Sanchez will call in later and give us an update, but uh, hopefully. Hopefully he will, and and we can we can definitely, um, you know, talk more about the event, and um, and see if we can get more people to attend. Um, while we while we're here, we are also waiting for our special guest, which is author Ronald Kessler, and we'll be um, talking with him shortly. Um, I don't know if uh, I've been reading uh, one of his books which is uh, the first family detail. Um, And he is a New York Times bestselling author and uh, media professional. He's a former uh, journalist with the Washington Post and uh, also Wall Street Journal. So he's got a great deal of experience. And it sounds like he also has some great contacts in D.C., because uh, I can tell you a particular book that I'm reading, which is First Family Detail, Secret Service Agents Reveal the Hidden Lives of Presidents. He really has some interesting inside information. And um, and going right up 
to the Obama administration where, uh, you know, clearly he had to have inside information. And I'm, I'm looking forward to ask him to asking him uh, a question about that, because, you know, normally the Secret Service is very tight lipped about the type of work mm-hmm. that they do. And uh, and part of their role, not only pr- physically protecting the president, vice president and foreign heads of state and, and other individuals. The other thing about that is that they also protect their dignity. I mean, that's, that's part of, that's part of what they do. They are there to, uh, to protect them and protect their dignity. So it's a, it's a very, uh, very sensitive position that they're in. And, uh, and clearly in the book, uh, there's, some interesting, <laughs> interesting notes. Yeah. Here. You know, yeah, including. Sure. Yeah. And including how the president, uh, presidents and vice presidents and first ladies treated Secret Service agents. And that's uh, that's, that's another interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's another interesting that's... perspective. Yeah, I feel like that is definitely something that, you know, would be only known within somebody that has those type of contacts because we'll never see it and the Secret Service will never talk about it. So so it's it's interesting that somebody is able to tune us in into how it actually is because, you know, in front of the camera and in front of media, I'm sure they're very proper. But yes. on the other side of things is really like the truth of their character. Yes, and and um, in the book, it it also mentions how uh, presidents Ronald Reagan and George uh, Bush Senior, how when they were president, they would not travel on Christmas Day. They would wait and go like the day after. And that was because they didn't want the secret service agents to not spend Christmas with their families. Oh, that is so sweet. That's amazing. I mean, so because obviously if the president was traveling to, you know, if George Bush in that case was traveling to Texas or president Ronald Reagan was traveling to California, then his Secret Service detail would have to travel with him. Work, yeah. And um, yeah, you know, it, I thought it was very, very uh, kind and and you know um, sensitive of them to it to is. not travel yeah. on those days. Right. Yeah, you know, and, I mean, and and these are the things these are the things we take for granted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just the 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 world must feel like it just revolves around them, and like I'm just I wonder how difficult it is not to disconnect from those type of feelings when you you know you have so much going on. So it does show true character of those that are willing to stay very grounded when they're in that type of power position. 
Yes, yes. And 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 even in another section talking about Ronald Reagan, and apparently he liked to go out and chop wood, you know, uh-huh. when he was at his ranch. I guess that was yeah. his his meditation okay. time or you know. Right. Um yeah. and he would not do it late in the day before the change of shift. Because oh, if he did it during the change of shift, then the agents would be stuck with him because yeah. he'd be out in the forest chopping wood. Yeah, so he's very, very considerate. Thoughtful. Considerate is the word yeah. I was looking for before. Yeah, considerate. Very, very exactly. considerate. You know, yeah. and that is very considerate. And then even, I wonder how even the family members are. Because, you know, a few months ago I was in New York and we were invited on a boat and um, Donald Trump's daughter was on there. And I, I didn't really realize, but I guess she had two secret service that were with her, but they were kind of dressed down or they were off to the side. And, you know, once we were on the boat and I was actually talking to one of them, I mean, they're just like you, you, first of all, I was just kind of so interested in the conversation because I wanted to see how like they were acting and, you know, if they were doing anything like talking into their ear, you know what I mean? Like, right, right. I, was, I was so conscious of that, but they're just, so, so, so nice, regular people. I mean, like, you can never think, you know, that, like, they're they're not someone that's, like, I can't talk to anyone except for people that are associated, associated with, you know, the White House. Or, you know, it, they were just, like, good, grounded, very loyal. You can tell they were very loyal, committed people to what they signed up for. Wow. And, um yeah, I mean, and at first I was like, are you drinking a beer? But <laughs> when I looked <laughs> down, it was just it was just a Coke. But um, but it was really interesting. So I do wonder also those, you know, people are, are the, the the smaller parts of that equation, which could be, you know, the relatives that you don't see on camera all the time, how they handle that too, because they right. have people assigned to them as well. Right. Right. You know, I'm going to work on um, on getting a retired agent on the show. Yeah, that would be so interesting. I wanted to ask this guy like a million questions, but obviously I, I didn't want to put him in a weird position. So I just right. went along with it and just ask him very basic questions. But it was so interesting because I feel like that's one part about the government where we don't really have it completely figured out. And I don't think we should because of security reasons, obviously, but it's such a well-kept, like you said, tight lip portion that is is such a mystery to most of us. Right. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to work on, I know a few folks that have retired from there. Um, and, and, you, you know, do. look, I, I know, I, I, I know, I, I know some active folks too, but I know they definitely can't talk. Um, of course. and, and of course yeah. the retirees I know have, have all signed confidentiality agreements, but yeah. I'm sure they could, they could share things that, that are public, you know, and that, right. that are matters of, of public knowledge. 
Um, exactly. And I, th- I think that'd be, that'd be really cool um, because, you know, it's one Absolutely. thing to have, to have a reporter's perspective and an author, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and again, you know, I, I've, I've read this book, the fam- first family detail. And uh, of course, I don't know how accurate it is because I'm not on the inside, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, I know some things, but not everything. And right. another interesting point that he talks about in the book, and I'd love to have someone who's, you know, at least retired from the Secret Service opine on it. And that is how um, there's always been struggles between the Secret Service and White House staff as it relates to security. And how, oh. you know, um, you know, of course, the White House staff who generally also usually, you know, are working campaign stuff, want the president out as much as possible, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies and doing the political thing. But the Secret Service, their mission, of course, is security. So, you know, they're always focused on the safety and the security of of the protectee. Right. And there have been times where you know the according to the book and again i don't know if this is if this is accurate but according to the book there have been times when the white house staff overruled the secret service on security really? decisions yes yes um and they they mention it it's mentioned even when uh when hinckley shot president reagan Hinckley was in a was in close oh. proximity to the president and had not gone through a magnetometer. Okay. So it'd be really interesting to see, you know, um, if if that real if real in terms of the struggle that they have, and does I mean I'm sure that 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 type of fight, if you will, for lack of a better word, that that, that type of disagreement occurs a lot. Mm-hmm. Secret Service is saying, right. no, we don't recommend that this be done. It's too dangerous. And either the president or staff overrule and say, no, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. We're going to do it, and you better do your job and protect him. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it, it'd sure be really interesting. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to see that. Um because even in the book, you know, they mention how when George H.W. Bush took office that the Secret Service felt relieved because, you know, um treated agents with respect and consideration. And he made it clear to his staff that none of them was a security expert. I'm quoting from the book. And if the Secret Service made a decision, he was the one to sign off on it. And they were never to question decisions or make like life difficult. So that's interesting that, you know, and, and obviously President Bush probably had even more inside knowledge than than other presidents, because. If you if you recall, prior to being vice president, he was the director of central intelligence. So 
Mm-hmm. You know, he he had a lot more knowledge on the inside than yeah. most. There's so many positions that I'm sure it's just very confusing on what the hierarchy is of which one, you know, overpowers the other one. I know, I personally know the, and, and I don't think this has to do with directly with what, what we're talking about. Cause I think the department of Homeland security, I know that the founder of it, which I was surprised because I didn't even realize that it was, an organization that was founded by anybody. I thought that was just something that the government came up with. But my friend Richard, he is the founder of um, Department of Homeland Security, and wow, and that's another yeah, and that's another that's another portion which you know I wonder on the grand scheme of things where that lies on the hierarchy of everything because right. you know when push comes to shove and, you know, security is being compromised, who is the big one that steps in and says, this is what's going to happen? You know, I don't think that's really clear on on where that final say lies. Um, right. There's so many aspects of security that, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a power struggle there where people think that they're going to, you know, have the final say. And, and in reality someone else comes in and maybe puts them in their place. I don't know. But that, that, that's such an interesting part, again, that most of us have no clue how it actually goes down behind right. the scenes. We just know what comes out through the media and what gets reported. So You know, Adriana, you've been holding out on me. You've been holding <laughs> out on me. You know the guy who, who created the Department of Homeland Security – you're on a boat yeah. with the president's daughter. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. You're holding out on me, girl. No, I'm learning from you. I'm learning from you, okay? You're you're way past all these contacts. You have like, you know, tenfold of what I know. I'm just I'm just trying to catch up with you. <laughs> well, I need to be hanging out with you more often. <laughs> I need to take that trip to LA pretty quick. Yeah, I know. Every, everyone's out here. No, but actually, Richard, I know from, from Boca. Um, and okay. he's he back and forth between Boca and New York. Um, but I've known him for a while. I, I've known him since I was in, in college. But, um, yeah, he's, he's it, it, I was surprised. Like I said, I didn't know that Department of Homeland Security was something that was founded by a person. But it is a nonprofit nonetheless, but it's just not um, something that I, I thought someone, you know, drew up in their mind. I thought that was something that the government put in place right. for, you know, safety and security. Um, but, but yeah, it's very interesting. Maybe, maybe one day he'll come on the podcast. I have to, I have to. Yeah. Talk to him about it for sure. Um, I want to mention yeah. two things and then, and then um, we do have Joe Sanchez, um, on hold. So I want to mention oh, two things and then we can talk about the event and the Harlem mosque incident. Um, number one, um, you know, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the family of Victoria Marinova. Um, she is a journalist, Bulgarian journalist, uh, who was murdered and, uh, she was murdered uh, just a few days ago and, uh, police have, Police are reporting that uh, that they do have a suspect in custody, and I'm sure we'll be hearing 
we'll be hearing more about this story. Um, she was working on some pretty, pretty heavy stories um, over in Europe. Um, she's 30 wow. years old, and she was found <laughs> dead near the Danube River. It is known. It is. It is not known if her death is linked to her work, but um, this was along the border of Romania where she was found. She had been raped and murdered. Um, <gasps> oh my yes. God, that's terrible. What a horrible, horrible way to die. I mean, not that there's yeah. a good way to die, but you know, um, it sounds it sounds like a crime of passion. You know, just based on yeah. based on what I'm hearing. But um an unnamed suspect, only described as a Romanian citizen with a passport from Moldova, has been arrested. Um, and she had worked at the Rus-based TV station, TVN, as a reporter. And she had recently, she had hosted a recently launched program interviewing investigative journalists about alleged corruption between businessmen and politicians involving EU funds. So European Union funds. Uh, Bulgarian prosecutors announced early they opened an investigation into the suspected misuse of European Union funds following Marinova's murder. The Interior Ministry said prosecutors were examining the GP Group, the company alleged to have misused EU money and froze 16 million of its assets. So um, Bulgarian Interior Minister Mladen Marinov initially denied that Marinova's murder was linked to her reporting and said there was no evidence that she had been threatened. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure we're going to have more information, you know. Um, um, and there was um, the owner of the investigative website Bivol.bg. It's B-I-V-O-L dot B-G. Um, his name is Asin Yordanov. And, uh, you know, and he said Victoria's death, the brutal manner in which she was killed, is an execution. It was meant to serve as an example, something like a warning. So, uh, you know, the, the murder and has been widely condemned by fellow journalists and watchdog groups. Um, so I'm sure there's going to be there's going to be a lot more information coming coming forth uh, on this story. Uh, Marinova is the third journalist murdered in the EU within the last year, and uh, according to Reporters Without Borders World Press Freedom Index, Bulgaria ranks lower than other EU members. So we'll we'll have to uh, we'll have to follow that pretty closely, and. Um, um, we also have Ronald Kessler on the line, so we're going to connect him momentarily. Um, other breaking news just occurred. Uh, President Trump has accepted Ambassador Nikki Haley's resignation. So uh, that's another interesting piece that uh, I think is probably shocking to most. But um, we're going we're gonna to connect Ronald Kessler. And uh, and then from Ronald, we'll uh, we'll get Joe Sanchez on the line to talk about the Harlem Mosque incident and the fundraiser that they have uh, going on. Um, Ronald, good morning. Hey, good to be with you. Good morning. 
And uh, and with me is is my co-host Adriana out of Los Angeles. Very good. Good morning. Thank you. Excited to to pick the brain. <laughs> Feel free. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ronald. Um, earlier in the show, I uh, I started talking about the first family detail, and uh, I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed reading it. Um, it's it's one of those books that um, that it, I didn't want to put down. I only put it down when I really needed to. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, and I wanted to first uh, talk about your earlier years, um, because I know that you previously uh, were an investigative reporter with the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal. Um, did you grow up in Maryland? I grew up in uh, Belmont, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston near Cambridge. And I started on my high school paper and then my college paper and uh, just sort of worked my, my way up. Worcester Telegram, Boston Herald, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post. I was there 15 years. I sat next to uh, Bernstein during Watergate uh, every night. Woodward would come over and they would write their stories together. And so I would hear all their conversations about sources. And uh, I uh, admired what they did. Wonderful. And did you always know that uh, that you wanted to be uh, a journalist? I think so. I think going back uh, even uh, to my uh, uh, junior high years uh, at my temple, I started a little uh, newsletter. Uh, I just love uh, revealing the truth, uh, exploding myths. I'm very independent-minded. I actually... Uh, left college after two years because I couldn't stand to be told what to think or how to learn or what to read. Um, and so, uh, you know, I take an independent path. For example, uh, in uh, 2011, I wrote a column headline, Don't Underestimate Trump for President. In January right. uh, 2016, I wrote an article predicting he would be president and how he would operate as president. I've known him for two decades. I did a book on Palm Beach. I called it my midlife crisis, because I usually write about the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, as you said. Uh, but yes. I wanted to drink more champagne and go to more parties. So did a book on Palm Beach. And um, uh, my wife, Pam, who's also a former Washington Post reporter, and I flew down with Trump on his plane to Mar-a-Lago, spent the weekend with him, and really got to know him uh, uh, for the past two decades. Uh, and so my book, uh, The Trump White House, changing the rules of the game, on the one hand, is probably unique as a journalistic effort because it is actually favorable to Trump. It says he will be seen as one of the greatest presidents based on the results, both in the economy and on foreign affairs. But it also uh, goes into the missteps and the and the comments that make, I think, all of us cringe. Uh, it also says that uh, Kellyanne Conway is the number one leaker and that uh, – uh, that Ivanka and uh, Jared uh, have been behind the most disastrous decisions of his presidency, namely firing Comey, which led to the appointment of Mueller, and also uh, firing, uh, hiring Scaramucci, which has to be, be the most foolish decision in the history of uh, the White House. 
But generally, I write about you know the FBI, CIA, Secret Service, uh, and I like to tell the truth. On the FBI, for example, I say that um, uh, they actually uh, have been responsible for for the fact that we have not had a successful foreign terrorist attack, meaning by a foreign terrorist network, since 9/11. And I go into right. why that's so, uh, but I also go into the problems. I one of my books led to the uh, firing of uh, of uh, William Sessions as FBI director over his abuses. Wow. And which book was that? That was called The FBI Inside the World's Most Powerful Law Enforcement Agency. Oh, okay. So that's that's got to be on my reading list. Yeah. Uh, the, the latest uh, effort is uh, called The Secrets of the FBI, and that really encompasses all of the... Uh, material that I've gathered up about the FBI, including um, the fact that I uh, uh, reported that uh, Bob Woodward's source, Deep Throat, was uh, Mark Felt. Several years before Mark Felt came out, uh, he was the former FBI official, based on real um, information, not just speculation, which was when I was doing one of those FBI books. I went out to California to interview Mark Felt. He was living with his uh, daughter, Joan. And Joan said, when I uh, rang the bell, she said, you know, this guy Woodward was out here a year ago. She didn't even seem to know just who he was, except that he was a reporter. And she said that he came in a white limousine and had the limousine park 10 blocks away. And then he walked to the house. Well, of course, that meant no question uh, that uh, Mark Felt was deep throat because there's no way that Woodward would have done that um, unless uh, he was trying to conceal that very sensitive source. Right. Well, you know, the one thing I was sharing with, uh, with my co-host Adriana um, earlier on, uh, as I was talking about uh, the first family detail, I said, you know, I can tell you um, it appears as though uh, Ronald Kessler has some really good, contacts in Washington. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, certainly uh, that's the way I've, you know, done uh, books that have gotten the headlines and, and uh, gotten a lot of attention. Uh, what, what, I, would you say, yeah. what would you say put you through the door, uh, your foot through the door, as in, you know, getting up those ranks and maybe somebody that's interested in, in doing the same as you? How did you get in, in with these people to begin with? Yeah. Well, first I had, you know, the solid journalistic background, uh, Washington mm-hmm. Post, Wall Street Journal that gave me credentials. But also uh, I think, for example, that FBI people, appreciate the fact that I appreciate what they do and I'm really interested in how they work. Uh, I was, I did the first story reporting on the FBI's uh, development of criminal profiling back in 1985 um, and because I was really interested in, in how they, how they do their work. Um, and also I'm fair and I uh, tell it like it is. And when they do a good job, I, I say that when they don't, I say that. So I think they like that, as well as the fact that they think that I already probably know a lot, and that's certainly true because I I do have all these sources, and so they they feel more comfortable talking to me. Uh, so I, mm-hmm. I I really just enjoy 
telling the truth and 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 not following the herd, not uh, going along with the journalistic uh, herd that that thinks that Trump is 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 a, a menace, uh, and yet somehow. Uh, we have the lowest unemployment rate since uh, 1969, the lowest uh, black unemployment rate in recorded history, uh, the roaring start market, the uh, tax cuts, and then on the foreign side, getting rid of ISIS almost entirely, uh, getting Saudi Arabia to go after radical Islamic ideology, meeting with Kim Jong-un, uh, making progress in terms of getting uh, rid of their nuclear weapons. Just any one of those achievements is astounding. And uh, there's so many myths. Uh, Of course, sometimes he contributes to the negative publicity with his own uh, tweets. Uh, In Mm -hmm. my book, I reveal that Melania is a very powerful aide in the White House. She actually sits in on meetings. She'll summarize what others say during the meetings and then She'll come up with her own strategy. And I quote Reince Priebus saying that her judgment is just impeccable. And she's not afraid to disagree with Trump either. Um, I have a little anecdote about uh, Mar-a-Lago. One day, Martha Stewart showed up at Mar-a-Lago. And and she asked if she could take a tour. And the butler, Tony Senecal, said, sure, why don't you come back tomorrow around 3 o'clock? So, okay, she said, fine. Tony told Trump, he said, good. But then later in the day, Tony went to check on Trump in the private quarters to see if he needs anything. And Trump started screaming at him, you dumbass, you should have scheduled it for noon tomorrow when the uh, club members would be here. And, and Martha would see them and be impressed, and they would see her, her and they would be impressed. And at that moment, uh, Melania walked in and she said to Trump, I don't think you should be talking to Tony in that tone. The next morning... Trump gave Tony $2,000 in $20 bills, would you believe? Uh, and that was his apology. He didn't say anything more. Uh, I was on Mike Huckabee's show recently. And he said, well, I wish I wish I, uh, I could get an apology from Trump as well. Right. If that's what he does. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I know that... Um, in terms of in terms of your book, the Trump White House changing rules of the changing the rules of the game, this is the only um, interview that uh, President Trump has done for a book. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, the only interview he says he has given or will give for a book, uh, and uh, so I certainly uh, appreciated that. I'll be coming out with uh, the paperback in April, and I'll try for another interview with him. Uh, and uh, one one little item from that interview was um, he likes to project this tough guy image that that suits his purposes. You know, everyone wants to uh, gravitate to him and be on his good side, and and that's that's one reason he does his tweeting. Uh, and he doesn't like it when people find out that he actually has a soft side. And and one aspect of that is that he. Uh, We'll give out $100 bills to janitors for moving furniture, uh, any any uh, workmen who help him. And uh, so I asked him about that in the, in the interview, and I said, you know, why why don't you let people know about that? And he got very defensive and said, well, how do you know that? Where did you hear that? And then he finally admitted that, yeah, he does do that. Uh, so a lot of uh, complexity there. Right, 
Right. Yeah. He, he, um, you know, I, I think you're right. He, he does have this, this tough, um, oftentimes construed as insensitive exterior, but you know, there's, there's gotta be, there's gotta be a soft side to him. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, half of, of his success is being tough. Uh, being the center of attention every day with his tweets and and comments that sometimes are outrageous. I interviewed um, Norma Forderer, who was his top aide for 26 years. When she joined the organization, it only had seven other employees, and she really knew him better than almost anyone on both the business and social side. Uh, she was the first person that he told about Melania, that he met Melania at this party. She's gorgeous, and she's a brunette, not a blonde, not a blonde, very uh, <laughs> always paying attention to the important details. And um, uh, she and Norma said there are two Donald Trumps. One is the one you see on TV who makes these sometimes outrageous comments to get attention for his brand. And then there's the real Donald that only insiders know, who's just exactly the opposite. He's thoughtful. He listens. Um, he's very deliberative. Uh, that's the Trump that I know, and that. Many others uh, are surprised to to find out about when they actually spend time with him. Wow! Mm-hmm. Very very so interesting. When, when you go through the process of requesting an interview, what does that look like? I mean, is he like a contact on your phone and you just shoot a text, or is there like a whole process of screening and, and scheduling? How does that actually come into fruition? Well, the first time I met with him, it was. Uh, an introduction by a mutual friend and uh, he called me and talked with me for about 20 minutes to get an idea of what I was up to and what I was like and then after that he agreed to do that uh, trip down to Palm Beach. Now the White House people know me and uh, mm-hmm. they uh, you know, they, they uh, will, will help to arrange interviews. Uh, but he's very, you know, impulsive. He'll just decide on the spur of the moment whether to do an interview or not. And and do you know whether or not he has he has read the book, The Trump White House? I just know that he he uh, thinks it's a good book. That he likes the book, um, but uh, nothing beyond that. I know the White House PR people also like the book. Okay, well, I'm sure someone there has read it for sure. And, For sure. and at least at least given him, you know, their their the book report up. on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, really sure. reads the whole book. <clears throat> and, and what has been your um I wanna use uh, I'm gonna use the word secret, but it, it's only for lack of a better word. I'm not coming up with a better word right now. But what has been your your secret to having such great sources on the inside of some of the, you know, the world's top intelligence and law enforcement agencies? Well, I think, uh, you know, it does have to do with what I mentioned before, which is uh, that they appreciate that I uh, really am interested in how they work and they figure I already know a lot. And uh, I'm uh, just, uh, I tell an honest story. Um, But in the case of Trump, I think one thing he liked, besides my wife, I think he likes her better than me, uh, is uh, that uh, I, he, he is very direct, as, as we know, and I'm also very direct. 
and candid, and I think he likes that. In fact, I know that that's the thing that he prizes most among his friends, most of yes. whom are billionaires. Uh, so that's one one little clue to why we we hit it off, and and uh, so uh, we we see him at Mar-a-Lago, and and uh, when we see him with Melania, it's very clear that they really have a great marriage. You know, they they uh, engage in these intense discussions and and they laugh and they tease with each other uh obviously she's not happy about the uh affairs but uh i think uh she keeps in mind the fact that they all happened more than 10 years ago and hopefully he's gotten older and wiser since then right right yeah is there anything that you have a hesitation because now obviously you have this sort of healthy relationship um, with the president. So is there anything where you kind of hold back in in order to preserve that relationship that you have or something that you might think might get you in trouble from releasing because of the fact that you do have this connection and it's obviously very sturdy? When I wrote this book, I decided that I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm not going to care about what he thinks. I'm going to be a journalist as I have been for almost 50 years and an honest journalist. Uh, and, and so reading the book, you, you can see that there are plenty of uh, items where I disagree with him, for example, on some of the FBI issues uh, and uh, and also uh, are critical of some of the uh, comments that he's made. Uh, but at the same time, I focus on the actions. The actions are so mo- much more important than than the uh, than the tweets, which will be forgotten years from now. And I think uh, years from now, uh, he'll be he'll be seen as one of the greatest presidents, just like Reagan, who was also reviled by the media, but yet he got rid of the Soviet Union. He bolstered the economy. And many in the media who who belittled him and called him stupid and dangerous now admit, for example, for example, Leslie Stahl has admitted that they were wrong and that, sure enough, he was one of the greatest presidents. Interesting. Do you do you think that uh, that the media has been unfair to President Trump? Well, that's pretty much a given. Uh, you know, it's not just unfair, but but dishonest. Uh, and and so different from when I was at the Washington Post, we would have been fired for for some of the things that they do. For example, <clears throat> April Ryan, uh, radio correspondent in the White House, uh, publicly without any evidence, uh, insinuated that Sarah Evans, uh, Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, had lied about making up making a pie, a pecan pie, and. Uh, she would have been fired instantly uh, when I was at the Washington Post. Um, another example is the New York Times uh, during the campaign ran a story above the fold with the lead. Uh, this model, uh, Brewer Lane, had barely met Donald Trump when he asked if she wanted to change out of her clothes. Wow. Well, it turned out that the real story, which she had told the Times reporters, but they ignored it, was that she had been invited at the last minute to a pool party at Mar-a-Lago. She didn't have time to go back to her apartment and get a bathing suit. And uh, she went to the party. Trump took a liking to her, showed her around Mar-a-Lago, and asked her if she wanted a bathing suit. She said yes. She put it on in a bathroom. She came out, 
And guess what? They started dating for the next several months. She said he was very respectful, and she really uh, took a liking to him and dated him uh, for several months. Where did that appear in the story? In the 16th paragraph. If it, wow. if it had been a lead, yeah. Then, of course, they couldn't have run it because the story would have been exposed as a fraud. But uh, it was that's what I call real dishonesty, and, and that just goes on all the time in the press. Uh, the, the Times would not retract the story, uh, and um, that's that's the slanted view that we get today. And and, and it goes mm-hmm. all the way up the chain because it's it's not just the reporters, but you know we're talking. Uh, well, Editors. you you know the hierarchy of 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 the media better than I do, but you know editors and. And producers, producers, and and yeah. and uh, you know uh, heads of media organizations allow this to continue. That's right, and you know it, it does hurt them because they uh, are less trusted, and and people turn to alternate uh, sources for information. But uh, you know a lot of uh, companies over the years have have died because of stupid. Uh, direction and management, and and that's what you see today. Terrible, mm-hmm. terrible, terrible. I wonder where the shift, since you you know were working there and to today, where that shift really came in, where people are allowed to do these things and then they don't get fired. Well, it was gradual, but certainly the internet uh, amplified it because <clears throat> reporters yeah. want to get hits, and and uh, so it became more competitive. They want to get the story out within an hour instead of waiting until the next day. Uh, that is part of it. Um, but it's just a, a general lowering of standards. I mean, who would uh, believe that an accusation such as for, uh, Ford made about uh, about uh, Kavanaugh without any corroboration whatsoever, and in fact, uh, besides Kavanaugh, the four people she named as being at the uh, incident all say it didn't happen or they don't remember anything like that. Uh, who would believe that that could become public? When I was at the Post, you would never run a story like that without corroboration. You simply wouldn't. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's a combination of, of the Democrats uh, in the Senate as well as the media all totally forgetting about any standards whatsoever. And what what's your any any uh, thoughts on what did go on with the confirmation hearings of uh, Justice Kavanaugh? I think that Ford, you know, genuinely <clears throat> thinks that that something happened, and genuinely, genuinely, and and the reason I say that is that the fact that she named these four other people who actually weren't there tells me that you know she she really believes it and uh is isn't you know making up a story but in fact i'm i'm also clear that, that it never happened uh she didn't remember anything about you know who brought her there who 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 took her away uh where where it was i mean that's just absurd and regardless uh of of what whether she was well intentioned or not you simply can't uh, rely on one accusation. If you do, <clears throat> we're all going to be in trouble. <clears throat> and there have been plenty of examples of false, <clears throat> excuse me, false rape allegations, 
going back to <clears throat> to one on Brawley and going back to um, the uh, soccer team uh, and the uh, fraternity parties uh, where where false accusations were made by women and they were proven wrong and, and yet they ruined people's lives. It's just horrendous. You know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take seriously any, any accusation like that, but it has to be corroborated. Correct. Right. Correct. And I think with everything going on now with the Me Too movement, um, you know, people are, you know, there, there's an increased awareness and advocacy. Um, but but I think that in some cases, and I'm not saying that it was the case with Dr. Ford, but in some cases, I think um, things are being blown out of proportion because of it. Um, sure. But you know, I, I think eventually it's gonna it's gonna settle down, and uh, and somewhat normalize, if you will. Well, better, better, because you know we're all gonna be in trouble. Our sons, our brothers, uh, are, are are all gonna be subject to uh, unfair uh, accusations, and uh, which can ruin our lives. Yes, indeed. And uh, what can we look forward to on the horizon? From Ronald Kessler. I'm keeping tabs on Trump. Uh, I'll be doing uh, an epilogue to the book. Um, otherwise, uh, always looking for new ideas, but but I haven't come up with one yet. Okay. Well, I know Thank Adriana wants to write a book. Of, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I know this is going kind of off subject of the core of what we're talking about, but what, what does it entail for you to write a book? How long does it take? Are you, you know, every single day constantly working on writing it, or does it come to you as you go? How does that whole process go? Well, first, uh, the hardest part is coming up with the idea for the book, and what I like is a subject that is powerful, important, secretive, uh, a challenge. If it's if it's too easy, I don't want to do it, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so that really limits a lot of uh, possibilities. Um, and uh, but then I do the reporting first, <clears throat> and then uh, once I've done the reporting, then I start writing, and I, I start getting up early. I get very intense. Typically, get up at four in the morning to start writing, uh, and we'll even go into the afternoon. Uh, thank God wow. for the computer because uh, uh, you know when I first started writing books, we didn't have computers, um, but. Right. Um, that's that's basically how I operate. And in you know, in the case of Trump, I already knew a lot, of course, so it didn't take yeah. as long as some other books. Uh, but the writing uh, began uh, in August of last year, and the book came out in April of this year. Oh well, that's actually for, I mean quick to you know come up with a book. Obviously, you've been doing this your whole life, so you're very well vetted in that. So what was the road to becoming a New York Times bestseller like? Um, again, it was important to get the right subject uh, and also mm-hmm. get media attention, get some scoops that would be picked up by the media. Uh, I've had seven New York Times bestsellers, uh, ranging from the Palm Beach book to uh, the two Secret Service books that I've done um, and others. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 just a lark. I, I enjoy every aspect yeah. of what I do, both the the reporting and the and the writing, as well as the promotion. 
Right. So do you think that the book sells itself because of the content? Obviously, it has to be good content to begin with. But you must put a lot of time and energy into promoting it as well. I mean, is it like you, you have to be traveling often to promote it? How does that whole uh, part of it work? Years years ago, you know, uh, book tours were important. Uh, they still are done with, with big celebrities. But, but now uh, the best way to publicize a book is national TV, and that's very easy. I live outside of Washington, or I go to New York. Um, and, uh, of course, there's also uh, print pickup. Uh, uh, I have good PR people uh, with the book mm-hmm. publisher. Uh, but but it has to be a good a good scoop and and uh, in the case of the Trump book, um, the media picked up right away on <clears throat> the disclosure that Kellyanne Conway is the number one number one leaker, for example. Jake Tapper had me on, um, and I was able to talk about Trump. Beyond that, of course, so um, yeah, I spent a lot of time on on promotion and and uh, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I I saw that about. Uh, Kellyanne Conway being the biggest leaker. And, and you know, I, I always found it interesting that her husband is, is, is uh, outspoken against Trump. And yet... Yeah, it's really bizarre. It's just bizarre. Well, I mean, you know, and, and she maintains a, gonna have to... a pretty high position in yeah. the administration. Well, she she's, she does. Um, you know, I mean, obviously spouses will have different political opinions, but but for him to be so uh, so outrageously public about it certainly uh, questions what kind of marriage they have. Right, right, that's true. Yeah. And 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 I, I've I've often thought that like, wow, what's 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 going on? Going there, on at you home. Know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She she so, has she's joked that that he feels jealous towards uh, Trump, and I think there's probably some truth truth to that. Oh wow! Okay. Very interesting. So, how did you discover that she was a leaker? Did, did, was there like one big instance where the light bulb went off and you said, "Aha, uh-huh, she's definitely the one," or was it several? There was, and that was when I was interviewing her at the White House, and she apparently forgot that she was still on the record and started uh, uh, beating up on on Reince Priebus, uh, saying really obviously untrue things about him, as well as uh, about Jared and Ivanka, saying that they're leakers. Um, So that was on the record. I was really shocked that she would do that. Um, And then in addition, I was told by uh, other aides, that they have seen text messages that she has sent to reporters in which she leaks material. So the combination of those things made me decide, uh, you know, this is something I'm going to put in the book. Right. Wow. Very Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I want to thank you so much, Ronald, for coming on the show. Uh, any last thoughts or comments? No, I appreciate the really good questions and uh, enjoyed being with you. Well, thank you so much. I, I, I know you have a very busy schedule. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, you were very responsive uh, in setting this up, and uh, and we got you on pretty quick. Um, I want to give out your website. It's www.ronaldkessler.com. 
Make sure you pick up his books. You won't be disappointed. I have thoroughly enjoyed reading the first family detail. You know, this is um, when it comes to government and uh, intelligence agencies and and Washington. That is my passion. I I love it. So um, I have a feeling that I'm going to have a little Kessler library at home because uh, I'm looking forward to definitely picking up uh, a copy of the Trump White House, Changing the Rules of the Game. And and some of your other books, Ronald. So thank you so That's much. That's great. Thank you. And thank you know, anytime you, you want to come back, you're you're more than welcome to come back on. Very good. Okay. Thank it. you so much. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. So there you have it, folks. Ronald Kessler, um, who is a um, award-winning author and journalist, investigative reporter, uh, with some really good contacts. Uh, in Washington, uh, what yeah. a, what an amazing amazing background! Wow. Yeah, so interesting. I mean, obviously that's a lifetime of building those contacts and starting, you know, as a journalist and writer at the Washington yes. Post and New York Times. So yeah, it definitely takes takes uh, many years, I'm sure, to climb up to where he's been and and to be able to have you know, access to the type of people that yeah. he has. Yeah, I would love to uh, to have coffee with him and pick his brain. Yeah, especially that off would the be. record. Maybe there's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's some extra stuff you can get. <laughs> that's right, that's right. You know, may, maybe the next time he comes down to uh, to Palm Beach. Yeah. So he he's based out of New York, or is he in in Palm Beach? He is uh, in Potomac, Maryland. Oh, right yeah. Outside I'm of, sorry. Yeah, right, right, right outside of of DC. His wife right. um, <clears throat> has also been a, an investigative reporter. Uh, his wife Pamela Kessler, uh, also an okay. author and former Washington Post reporter. So, you know, I'm sure their marriage has been great because they both, I know. you know, same field and that same crazy mm-hmm. schedule and the insanity that comes with it all. Yeah. I mean, that was an interesting point when we were talking about Kellyanne and how her and her husband have such different point of views. I mean, I'm sure you've dealt with many couples that have that issue where, their opinion when it comes to politics differs greatly. So yeah. what is your take on when someone comes in and, and, and they're just at each other's throats with opinions? Well, you know, I mean, it's not it's not just political. I mean, look, I, I marry a lot of couples that are huge sports fans and have a divided house <laughs> as it relates to sports. You know, right. I mean, yeah. It happens, you know, but uh, the point is that, you know, you have to you have to respect each other's opinion and respect each other's right to have a different opinion. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I, we don't agree on a lot of things, but, uh, you know, we compromise and and, uh, you know, we've uh, we've learned to to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta learn as you go, I guess. I just yeah, think you gotta learn. I've seen a lot of like 
fundamental, like when it's a fundamental issue, um, you know, for example, let's just say someone that's, you know, for abortion and someone that's against it. I mean, right. I, I always wonder what something like that, how that brings maybe some sort of friction because essentially that does go deep into what your core values are and that's in you know, right. direct relation to the person that you're with. So I always right. wonder how, how that kind of, a divide. I mean, I know sports, is, you know, I guess like, you know, funny banter that you can have at home, but something where it becomes a little more deep, deep issues um, that, that are core values. I don't, I always wonder how one maintains a healthy relationship despite of those differences. Yeah. I, you know, again, for me, it's, it's all about compromise and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really at the end of the day, what, what are the most important things, you know, yeah. so, there's so many things that mm-hmm. you know that are just not important and we get caught up in making them important when they're really not yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's great advice yeah choose your battles i guess you can you can decide that you're gonna you know concentrate on on one issue and magnify it or you can just let it be and and, and maintain a healthy relationship regardless Exactly. Exactly. Um, we're going to go to Joe Sanchez, who has been anxiously awaiting. <laughs> and owe him a cup of coffee. Joe, how you doing, buddy? I'm Hi, doing Joe. okay. Adriana, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I usually get up late because I go to bed about three, four in the morning, and and uh, wow. got up early so I can listen to the show. And see what I can add to it. So, uh, in yeah. regards Thank to that you, coffee, Jim. we can, yeah, we can have coffee anytime. You know that. And you know, I've been with my wife okay. fifty years. I've been with my wife That's fifty right. years. Wow! She's put, she, yeah, she put up, she put up with a lot, especially when I was a cop. <laughs> I mean, she put, she put up with a lot, and you know my story. So, yeah, she's a very faithful woman, good mother, caring mother, loving mother. And uh, I love her dearly. I, I wouldn't know what to do without my sweet, you know, my darling Lorraine. I'd be lost. That's but, right. Uh, She's such a sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. And, but let, let me tell you something. That was an interesting uh, interview you had with Ronald Kessler. Very interesting. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. Uh, now, and, and I'm enjoying yeah. his book, I'll tell you. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Uh, let me see if I can uh, pick it up uh, on Amazon. Uh, but right now, let's talk about the mean streets, the mean streets of New York City, the concrete jungle, yes. how it was, especially back in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s, how it was to be an NYPD cop. Well, you know, I was a Port Authority cop as well, and I loved that job. I learned a lot, and I was a correction officer at Sing Sing, which what an interesting job that was, that I was a cop. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, let's let's talk about the main streets. Let's talk about the uh, the event that's coming yeah, up uh, on Dece- December eighth in regards to uh, honoring uh, uh, two NYPD uh, uh, former NYPD police officers, Victor Padilla and Ivan Negron. Ivan Negron has since passed, but this is an incident that happened in 1972, a day that I call just like uh, uh, Frank and Donald Rosal, a day that will live in infamy, disgrace. Right. 
because of what happened in, in, in inside the mosque. And you know, I did it. In, in, uh, I uh, I went to see Victor at his home, and I, you know, I have a video of him explaining exactly what happened inside the uh, the nation uh, the nation of Islam mosque in uh, in Harlem. So uh, yeah, that's right. It occurred. It occurred April fourteenth, nineteen seventy two. Yes, there was a bogus 1013 call uh, that a detective needed help on the second floor inside the mosque. And, uh, of course, uh, Victor Padilla and uh, his partner, Ivan Negron, worked in the 2-5 precinct. They were only, uh, there was a borderline between the 2-8 precinct and the 2-5. And uh, they responded to the call. Some backups at 1013. Other precincts would come in. Uh, uh, and so they responded, and when they got there, they parked their uh, vehicle uh, uh, across the street from the mosque, and they had seen the 2A precinct uh, police car parked in front of the mosque. Uh, when uh, they entered the mosque, uh, they saw uh, Phil Cordillo, and uh, they saw that he was surrounded by some uh, uh, Nation of Islam black Muslims, and uh, anyway, uh, in, in regards to... Uh, uh, yeah, I lost my thought here. I got up early today, you know. <laughs> so, Cordillo, <laughs> <Phil> Cordillo. <laughs> Where's your coffee? So, <laughs> that's right. I got to have my coffee. I have one coffee there. That's all. That's all I need for the day to get me going. <laughs> but uh, Cordillo uh, tells the two officers, uh, Victor and Ivan, that has been floor. And uh, uh, Victor tells the uh, the Muslims, uh, "Well, bring the cop down and we'll leave." And Right. Of course, uh, before you know, they were surrounded by 12, 15 more Muslims. And, uh, uh, but uh, what happens is that uh, they, get sur- they get surrounded, and uh, Victor, uh, Ivan, and Cardillo get trapped inside the mosque. The door is closed, and, uh, well, you know the rest of the story. It's on Wikipedia. And we're trying to bring justice to these two officers because Cardillo has been honored, even though. Uh, the uh, mayor Lindsay and the police commission never attended his funeral because he was shot once inside a mosque and he died six days later in the hospital. Victor, of course, was uh, beaten, and when they uh, when the door was finally opened, that Ivan was able to open up the door after he fired three shots inside the mosque, and uh, another officer uh, uh, from the uh, two eight. Uh, and uh, he fired. He 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 managed to break the the window to the door and fired three shots up in the ceiling to to scatter the Muslims that were beating the cops. And uh, then, of course, uh, uh, Victor, uh, when he was found, he was found laying by uh, Cardillo's legs. And uh, they were rushed to the hospital, and then a riot almost uh, came about because of the incident. But right. uh, we, we want to we honor these uh, two police officers <clears throat> because they were really never honored. I mean... Uh, uh, Cardillo, uh, uh, they named uh, a boat after him after so many years, well-deserved. And then uh, two years ago, they named the, uh, in front of the uh, police academy, the, uh, a street uh, after Cardillo, which was great. Right. And, uh, and, that's, and that's about it. But, it, uh, you know, you can add to that. You know more about the story than I do. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and you know, um, uh, Al Seedman, Albert Seedman, who was uh, – who was the New York City uh, chief of detectives of the NYPD, who has passed, may he rest. 
Um, he, uh, he was the ranking officer on the scene, and he also talks about it in his book entitled Chief, which is a fabulous, fabulous book uh, where he talks about some of the major cases and incidents that occurred in New York City. But uh, Seidman decided to retire that day as he was walking back to his car and dodging bricks being thrown at him. He claimed that at the time that his retirement had nothing to do with the incident. But in 2012, a year before his death, he admitted that his disgust with uh, Cod's refusal to provide extra officers was his real reason. And he did not want to say so at the time because he loved the, the, the police department so much that he couldn't drag it through the dirt by saying right. Cod what was, those bastards Cod did. Yeah, Cod and was that's his quote at the time. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, I, I, I had the, the honor and privilege of meeting Al Seedman. Uh, he visited us at the Broward Sheriff's office. We all had lunch with him. He signed, you know, he, he signed books and, you know, we were able to pick his brain and, and I know, um, you know, I, I saw him a few times after that. And, uh, I know, um, Alan Berkowitz is very close to him as well. And, you know, used to drive him around and, and, and help him out as well. But, uh, you know, quite a, quite a story in terms of everything that went on in, in the mosque incident. Uh, you can look it up on, uh, on Wikipedia. It's certainly been written about many, many times. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Louis Farrakhan and Congressman Charles Rangel uh, also got involved uh, at the scene there in New York City when this occurred. So, um, you know, this is this is going to be a great uh, fundraiser. Um, and, and I understand that you're you're bringing down uh, the widow. Um, Ivan the Grown. Ivan the Grown. Ivan the Grown's uh, widow. Yeah, yeah, we're going to fly her down. Uh, but listen, before I, I, I get into this, uh, Charles Wrangle, I spoke to, I visited uh, Seedman. My wife and I and my granddaughter visited Seedman, went to his house, uh, <clears> spoke <throat> to his wife. He invited me inside, and he told me that Charles Wrangle had told him, you uh, you got to get uh, all these white officers out of here because there's going to be a riot. And he told uh, Seedman that uh, he would make sure that all the uh, uh, Muslims uh, inside the mosque would report to the 28th precinct if he uh, if he did what he told them, and it was a right. lie. It was a big lie and unheard of, unheard of, and they never showed up. And uh, uh, as you know, uh, Randy Jurgensen, the, uh, the the leading detective in the case, he took it over and uh, he investigated with Jim, Jim Harmon. Jim Harmon was the AP right. that prosecuted the case, and. Uh, no, no, it, 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 what, it was just a total fiasco, total fiasco. And uh, but throughout the all these years, uh, I don't think Ivan uh, Negron and Victor Padilla were properly honored because they were they were the two officers that stayed. They never left Cardillo behind. Right. They were fighting for their lives. They stayed trying to protect Cardillo. And uh, but uh, and I, in the interview, I asked them had he seen. Uh, 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 Fidel Nevada, who was uh, Cardillo's partner, who was supposed to be at the, in the second floor, he says, no, he never saw him. He later learned that he was able to get out through a side door and uh, and then uh, come through the front again. But I consider uh, uh, Phil Cardillo, 
Ivan uh, Negron and Victor Padilla, the true heroes inside a mosque. Right. And uh, these the, these two officers, uh, you know, I'm proud of them. Uh, I'm proud of them because uh, the police department back in the 50s, I remember in 55, 57, there were only about 300, uh, excuse me, maybe 60, 80 Latinos on that job. And, of course, right. there were only about maybe 20,000 uh, NYPD police officers. And when we were on the job, when I went on the job, I took the test in 68, and I was a port authority cop before I went to the NYPD, but there were only a few hundreds of us, maybe three, 400. Now uh, 9,000 Hispanic police officers in the NYPD. That's one-third of the uh, uh, police department. That's, that's L.A., but right, it's right. It's about time. It's about yeah. time that we honor. The, it's about time that we honor these two uh, officers because, uh, and and give them the you know for valor for what they did. But because nothing has ever been done for them, this is the first time that they're going to be honored, honored, right for for their valor for not leaving Cardillo behind and staying with them. They, these two officers could have been killed, shot just like Cardillo was shot. So uh, right. I'm glad that. Uh, I'm able to, uh, you know, I thought about the idea. And, of, of course, Al Torado, a good friend of mine, also we talked about it. And he says, yes, Joe, let's do it. Freddie Roman said, let's do it. Freddie Roman was my partner in the 2-5. And, right. Uh, and, yeah, we're, we're, and it, the, uh, we're taking uh, donations. If you want to donate $15 for a cause, it would be great. But this right. is, I call, this is the, uh, the mean streets. This is a combat. It's, yeah. Right. It's, it's, a great, it's a great story, a tragedy. And so let's honor these two. Uh, I, hey, listen, I'm proud. I'm a Puerto Rican. I'm proud to be a Puerto Rican. I'm a Hispanic, and I'm proud to be able to bring recognition to these two Puerto Ricanos who were right. great cops, honest cops, and you don't leave anyone behind, and you give them the credit. And when you have, back then, I mean, they used to have uh, a gathering in, in recognizing Cardillo and they used to say, yeah, two two police officers from the two five precinct. And finally, I said, let me, let me tell you something. These two officers have names, Victor Padilla mm-hmm. and Ivan Negron, and you name them, you name them. And uh, I make sure that their story on Wikipedia, I call Tony the uh, Marine Santiago. He's an author for Wikipedia. He's written stories about Puerto Ricans, military men and women, well-known. He was honored in 2007 by the Puerto Rican government for what he does for the Puerto Rican uh, military men and women. And he wrote my story in Wikipedia. And uh, so, and, and just like uh, I don't, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Irma Lozada, she was the first female police officer in the, in the uh, history of the NYPD to be, uh, right. to uh, die uh, in the line of duty. Irma, nobody wanted to do her story. I said, no, 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 we don't, we don't play that game here. We protect our own too. And I, right. I gave the story to uh, Tony the Marine, and he wrote her story, Irma Lazada. If not, she wouldn't have been on Wikipedia. And that's the way it is. And I did the same thing for Brianna, the young girl that died of asthma because the police officer that responded to this uh, came across them, never uh, properly uh, gave a first aid, and she uh, she eventually you know passed because of the, the lack of this officer doing the right thing. So, uh, right, no, if I right. see this as a reason to speak up for somebody and get them recognition, I will do that. That's the only okay. way. Mm-hmm. Well, we look forward uh, and, to, uh, to to that event. And uh, thank you for, for coordinating it. And I'm sure you're going to have a great sure, turnout. 
Oh, no, no. Yeah, we are. And I'm going to make sure now this, your show is recorded, and I'm going to throw it out there. As soon as I hang up, it's going out there. And you know I got a big following. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I got people that mm-hmm. will uh, tune in. When I go on my computer and I says tune in, they'll tune in. And I'll notify <laughs> Randy Jurgensen and everybody else involved, Chili Motto, and says, hey, let's do right for these two officers. It's their time. And right. uh, see if you can donate something to the course. I mean, Victor, Victor went up. To the cause? He he, to the cause? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Victor, Victor, Victor had, oh, excuse me, Victor had, had brain surgery, you know. And when, when he went up to, uh, to uh, he, he drove up to, uh, to, uh, to New York when they were honoring Cardillo, uh, the street naming, he, uh, he asked me if I would go with him. And he drove up with his wife and his, grand, and his grandson. And I flew up for the day to be with him because he asked me to. Uh, Victor's a strong, I mean, he's a strong individual, especially when he was a cop. I mean, uh, no, no, nobody messed with him. And he was a good cop. Right. Uh, did his job. But uh, he asked me, Joe, can you come? Can you be with me at the event? And uh, uh, I felt a little bad because he he drove all the way up there, okay? And they should have paid more attention to him. This is the main guy, the last guy still alive in that mosque, okay, who right. stayed with Cardillo to the very end. And you would think mm. they would say, hey, Victor, come on. Let me join right. you for, uh, for, uh, for lunch because they had a they, they, after the event. Uh, a lot of cops met at this location for an event, you know, for uh, lunch and all. And uh, uh, even though they said hello to him, it wasn't like that. I don't play that game, okay? This is the right. main guy. Stay with him. Show him respect. He drove all the way up there. Now, you guys in New York, okay, pay him respect. Send him. Two dollars. Hey, where's my two dollars? I remember I saw that movie uh, with the kid, which uh, after the guy that he used to uh, deliver the newspaper, and then the, and the guy always hit on him. They didn't want to give the kid the two dollars. But anyway, hey, where's my two dollars? Bring it down. Get the these two officers finally to do respect, okay? Right. Because right. I'm waiting. To, I'm listen, Michael. You know the way. I'm waiting to hear from some of these guys. They know about the event. You know how I am. If I don't hear from them, (laughs) man, you you know what's going to go down, you know? Uh, know, Bo Dito Dito knows, you know, Bo Dito knows, and uh, I'm going to tell Bo Dito, Bo, come on, come on, send a check. You know my address, you know my phone number. Give me a call and send a check to honor these two offices. That's all I have to say. I, I talk a lot. But, uh, well, thank you, but, you so know, much. Like, yeah. No, no. Thank you so uh, much for calling you. in. We do have to end. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll keep promoting the event until until it happens. Yes. So, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Joe. Hey, thanks for getting up early. Both you and no Adriana yeah. had to get up early, too, because she's in oh, Los yeah. Angeles. She's in L.A., though. She's in L.A. Yes, Day. I am. Okay. So, don't, don't, don't complain about waking up early. I had to wake up three hours oh, plus. Oh, hey, can I add one more thing? Can I add one more thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Rudy Andre was the one that broke the glass to the uh, to the uh, to get. In other words, he fired three shots. He broke the glass to the door. Just gathered these Muslims and them were beating up on uh, on on uh, Tardello and 
Cardillo was already shot, and then uh, Ivan. But see how I give credit? Rudy Andrew was the one, all right? He he was from a 2 way. Oh, okay. I want to make sure, but they're not digging, hey, no, no, I'm fair. You were there, I named you, <laughs> period. <laughs> well, listen, thanks, thanks again. Okay, guys? Okay, <laughs> God Thank bless you, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, okay, bye now. All right. All right, so... Uh... You know, we we may have to do uh, we may have to do a show on that whole on that whole incident. It is it is a piece of wow. history. Yeah. 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 It Absolutely. is definitely a piece of history. So, and that's a wrap for this week. And um, I think we went Great we went show. a little longer than than normal, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep it interesting. So now you have your whole day ahead of you, Adriana. Oh yeah, my day is just getting started. <laughs> right. So you could you could take a nap. Up early. You but could take a nap if you know. wanted to. No, I'll keep the momentum going. So all right, I'll start taking on the day from here on. But it was a great show. Yes, thank you. Thank you. On amazing, amazing people to to pick their brain. Thank you, thank you, and we will definitely talk soon. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your Thank week. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Reverend Michael. Yeah. So that's a wrap. Um, we want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Michael Calderon Show. Uh, today's special guest was author Ronald Kessler. And again, you can visit his website at www.ronaldkessler.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great week.